Reconstructionist Radio presents Justice in His Kingdom, examining the religious nature of justice with Jerry Lynn Ward and Roger Oliver. Hello, this is Jerry Lynn Ward and Roger Oliver back for another episode of Justice in His Kingdom. The name of today's episode is Naboth's Vineyard. It's based on the story from the Bible about King Ahab who coveted the vineyard of Naboth who did not want to sell it to the king. It covers the story of a kangaroo trial and the facilitation and manufacturing of false testimony in order to execute Naboth and his family so that the king could acquire his property. We're going to discuss how this story applies to today's justice system and today's evidentiary standards and I'm very pleased to have John Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute here to talk to us about that. John is an attorney and he is also the founder of the Rutherford Institute which has been in existence since 1982. We're very pleased to have him and John I want you to tell people a little bit about yourself. First of all before you founded the Rutherford Institute did you have a private practice as an attorney? Yes I did in the when I first got to law school in 1974 I had a, a law practice when did I uh, at that point in time, I became a Christian, and uh, the fellow I was working with did not like the idea. And mm-hmm. so my practice at that time kind of started dissipating. But I, I got really interested into helping uh, a lot of folks that were contacting me about problems. Um, and to give you an example, I had one teacher who contacted me who said that uh, she was asked a question in class. She had a crossed around her neck, a very small one, like three quarters of an inch or something. And one of the students, it was like a fourth grade student, asked her what it meant. So she took about a minute to explain it. And that's all. She didn't preach or anything. She was called into the principal's office and told she was going to be let go if she ever did that again. Wow. She contacted me and I uh, researched it and never looked really too closely into religious freedom issues because I was a young lawyer at the time and just starting out. And uh, I defended her kept her job, and that started me on my way, basically. And uh, people started writing about me. There was no one really out there doing it, hardly at all. So people started writing about me, and uh, I was def- all of a sudden I was having all these people contact me. I didn't have any money. I had uh, on my way to having five children. And uh, people started, I started asking for donations for plane flights and stuff. And sometimes I got it. I got my plane flight covered. But I would go into tr- courts and to defend people. I defended a uh, Michigan police officer who refused to go on duty with female police officers at night. He said it would lead him into temptation. Mm -hmm. And he was fired. I went before the Michigan State Board of State Police Officers, which was like being before a military tribunal, by the way. I'd never seen it. They had all these medals and stuff. And I got his his job back. And uh, so I, all of a sudden, I Got this idea that this was a good thing to do, raise money uh, for cases where people can't normally. A lawyers are expensive, as anybody knows who's been in the courtroom. So that's how I got started, and I founded the 
Rutherford Institute in 1982 based on the idea that uh, we would take on lawsuits and uh, we would fund the lawsuits so that people could get into the courtroom. Otherwise, they won't. And so if anybody could go to our website, Rutherford.org, you'll see we've handled, I'm almost, I want to say thousands, but we have, we've handled a lot of cases over the years, big cases, small cases. But uh, I don't discriminate. Uh, I will defend an atheist if I think his rights are, and I, I take the model of Jesus. Jesus, uh, he said, if someone's down by the wayside, you know, on the roadside, you step and stop and help them. So I, I put the Good Samaritan principle in practice that way. And I've had people for years come into my office and say, I don't like a darn thing you stand for. I don't like your religion, but can you help me? And I go, sure, buddy. <laughs> I've had them say that to me. And I'll go, what the heck? I'll help you. What's your issue? And uh, so that's how I've gone over the years. It's not been extremely profitable. And like some of the other groups that have started after Rutherford religious groups, we were the first out there. And, uh, but, you know, uh, I just want to, you know, like I say, if I want to go to the grave. I want, but uh, as I enter heaven, I hope Peter says, well, you weren't very smart most of the time, but at least you did some good things. You, you can go on in, buddy. I go, thanks. Well, one thing I, was very interested in a lot of our listeners have read Rush Dooney and you actually wrote an article about church schools for one of the journals of Christian reconstruction. And you were involved in helping church, uh, church, or church schools against state governments that were oppressing them. Is that correct? Could you tell oh, yeah. us a little bit about that? Yeah. A lot of those, uh, yeah, with, you know, uh, well, handled the first homeschooling case in the country, uh, won it, uh, the, the Ruth and Peter Noble case, uh, Another couple that called me, it was amazing. I get these calls in the middle of the night. I'd be sleeping at 2 a.m. in the morning. Some guy calls and says, I was arrested tonight. And I said, 2 a.m. in the morning, a lawyer usually think, well, gee, they're drunk and driving or what? He said, no, no, no. I got arrested for homeschooling. I went and defended that case and won that one. But I had a number of Christian schools that contacted me. They, they were forcing them to be licensed in some states uh, over burden licensing. I fought those cases and won them. Uh, I defended a number of churches that had issues where the government tried to uh, invade their realm and uh, they fought back. So I've done that. You know, again, I like I say, I had when Paul Jones came to me uh, back in the mid 90s, 1990s and said she had been raped by the president of the guy that was the president of the United States. I went I looked at the case. She gave me some facts. I said it when I once I saw the facts, I took the case. So I'm not backed away. I mean, I think, again, I, I use the Good Samaritan principle as my way of life. And uh, it's not always going to be the happiest thing in your life, because like Jesus, Jesus was highly criticized for what he did. And he was originally crucified for what he did. And I've, I've learned that, by the way, if, you, if you're out there, you sort of become a lone wolf sometimes, yelling and screaming and trying to get people to wake up. But uh, that's a very difficult thing, by the way, is getting people to wake up to what's going on in the world around them. Right. Well, this podcast is about justice from the biblical perspective. And one thing that Roger and I've been interested in lately is the story of Naboth and his vineyard and the the, the kangaroo trial that ensued from that story. And Roger, you want to sort of recite what we're talking about for the audience? No, just quickly. Uh, Ahab and and uh, Jezebel were such wicked rulers that I venture to say that people who have never read the Bible know about them. At least they know the word Jezebel. Uh, she was a Sidonian, not a Hebrew, not at all committed to the law of God, but she understood it well enough to manipulate it. 
she was a Baal worshiper, which is basically a form of statism. So Ahab <clears throat> wants to buy Naboth's vineyard so he could have a vegetable garden next to his uh, next to his pack castle. And he says, hey, buddy, sell me, your, sell me your vineyard. I'll give you one just like it or I'll pay you silver. And according to the tribal, the law of uh, Moses at that time for them, they couldn't sell there. There was an inheritance they had to pass it on to their sons. And so he kept that law. And besides that, regardless of the reasons, it was his land. He could just say, I want to sell it or I don't want to sell it. So Ahab goes back bitter and pouting around. So Jezebel says, what's the deal? He says, well, I want this vineyard and he won't sell it to me. He says, what's the matter with you? You're the king. You can do whatever you want to. I'll fix it for you. So she writes a note to the lesser magistrates and tells him, set up a false trial, get false witnesses to testify against, against him and then stone him. That's I mean, can you imagine the email? <laughs> Somebody find an email with that kind of notice in it. It's in the scripture. Everybody knew it. So it wasn't just Jezebel or Ahab. They had a cooperation of the, of the lesser magistrates in order to do this. And all the people around, they were his tribal family, basically, that killed him. And you find out, this is in 1 Kings 21. and 2 Kings 9, 26, you find out they killed his sons as well. Uh, and I'm sure the reason for that was because of the inheritance laws to get rid of that so the king could have it. And of course, in the end, at this time, Elijah was the major prophet and uh, he came and pronounced death sentence on him. And that was the end of that family. And they died a bloody and miserable, a horrible death. It's a fascinating story, but that's, that's the, that's the ground that we want to kind of talk about. And, and John, uh, the reason that I was so interested in having you opine on this is because I think you've seen similar types of sin and corruption in our present judicial system. Would you like to address that? Well, I think that, again, uh, I've been in this area over 40 years, and I've seen uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of judges that weren't, I don't think, qualified, uh, and uh, the, the rulings are, are pretty darn tough, some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say this, that the courts, uh, in my opinion, were established to help the little people. The courts should mediate between an overpowerful government, and all governments eventually become, in my sense, you know, again, leading to people and their character, what we might call the sin nature. Uh, tend to become very, very uh, infatuated with their power and whatever. Judges the same way. In fact, I would say a lot, many judges I've met, I just call them bureaucrats in robes. Uh, and some of them, but by the way, I've had uh, interns now that are judges around the country, some federal judges. Uh, and these are kids I knew. So they're not like prophets. They're not, you know, from another world or something. They're just regular human beings, most of them. And a lot of them are there just because it's a darn good job, by the way. <laughs> you, don't, yeah. you don't have to work 40 hours a week like most people do. But, I mean, the judges over the past in this country, just if you look at the Constitution of Civil Liberties, uh, the, the rulings that I, I write about in my books, by the way, I have two books people should at least look through or be interested in. It's Battlefield America and A Government of Wolves. I have uh, sections of the book on these cases where the judges are ruling that, uh, I mean, they can uh, now do body searches on you, reach up into your body. The courts have upheld that to Supreme Court. They can take your DNA. They can force me strip searching in jail now, even though you've not been convicted of a crime. These are the things, by the way, that the founding fathers, the people who wrote our Constitution, would be absolutely shocked by. These are people who 
uh, tried to, uh, many of them tried to operate on biblical principles, but we don't see that today. I think that what I would concede, the Judeo-Christian theology, the Judeo-Christian thought form is gone in our country. Uh, we have a, we're, we're facing a total moral collapse and cultural collapse in this country. And I've talked about this often in interviews. I've studied the history of the Roman Empire. We're, we're actually, in my opinion, now very much like the Roman Empire. I think that the United States is going to collapse. That's my opinion. Eventually, not tomorrow or whatever. Uh, but the way it's headed, uh, it does not look good. You cannot. And I studied Rome. The only, the only thing that saved the uh, uh, British Empire was they pulled back. They pulled back into their country. They had a huge empire, and they saved their country. The Romans didn't do that. Now, the United States is spread all over the world. We have the largest deficit, $23, $23 trillion deficit we have right now in this country. But more than that, I just think people do not know the difference between right and wrong today. If you go to the Facebook, by the way, and the Internet is pouring all over the network. Sex trafficking is one is the biggest issue in this country. Thousands of kids go missing every day in this country and around the world. We don't see the government talking about that. We don't see judges talking about it. We see people like me talking about it occasionally, but you don't you don't hear much about it. So people, people, the kids coming out of public schools today, they don't know have any idea what morality is. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. At 10, 10 years old, they're watching porn. So what we're facing in this country, and this is on the back of the churches, by the way, the churches have to get out of, the, out of their steeples and get out in the streets and get out in the communities and get involved. They need to go to the local public school and say, hey, we're here. If you need us, we'll be glad to counsel people and talk to people. Get involved in your community. Just don't sit inside a building on Sunday morning and hear a pastor talk. Get out like Jesus did. And, you know, that's, again, I go back to the Jesus character. He uh, was a troublemaker mainly because he spoke truth to power. He didn't, I mean, it, you know, when he was before Pontius Pilate, he basically told him to get to beat it. He said, hey, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. <laughs> You're not going to change my mind. Whereas many people in those situations cower before power. But the point is, is that the country, uh, in my opinion, is in the worst shape I've ever seen it in, the, in my, my existence. And um, a lot of it has to do with the influence of Christians not getting out there and getting involved in their communities. I mean, it's it takes standing on the street corner. Again, by the way, I've, I've defended hundreds of street preachers. I like yeah. I like, I like the, 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 the buskers out there uh, standing by a train station singing songs, Christian or otherwise. I just like people getting involved and getting out there and getting the message out. But what I'm seeing today is, is that uh, we're letting uh, the government, we're letting uh, the public schools teach kids that there is no morality, basically, and that there are no rights. The average kid, listen, talking to students coming out of schools today, this is amazing. Law students can't tell me what's in the Bill of Rights. They can't tell me what's in the First Amendment. It's not even taught in schools anymore. They don't teach the Declaration of Independence. Local communities, pastors, local people should be out here going to public school meetings and to their local uh, city council maybe screaming about that kind of stuff, but everybody's just sitting inside watching TV all the time. By the way, I don't watch television. I think it's a uh, something that if you watch very much TV, you might as well consider you're not going to do anything because TV is designed for one thing, to make you sit on your butt and watch. Wow. And we want to get off our butts. And that's the key. Get out and get involved in your community. Uh, the average American watching 10 hours of screen devices a day, we're, we, we're gone, folks. If they got you watching, they got control of you. And 
Who's controlling society today, and I write about it in my books, is the large corporate entities like Facebook, Google, run, run everything. They're the so-called deep state. They work with key government officials behind the scenes and control everything. They want your money. I mean, Zuckerberg, Mr. Zuckerberg, who runs Facebook, had two secret meetings in the White House in October with President Trump. Secret meetings? What is a secret meeting? I thought we lived in an open and free society. Jerry Ward, if you go to the White House and knock on the gate and say, I want like I got I just want to say one sentence to the president. I think it's important. They'll cock a gun at you and chase you off. But Zuckerberg has millions and trillions of dollars. They walk in. Google. Google, listen about is watching everything you're doing, is works for the Chinese government, which is a ruthless persecutor of Christians and otherwise. And that they're allowed to do that and still operate. I mean, the, the American government puts up with that kind of stuff. So we're way down the road, and I'm t- trying to wake people up. The only thing that's going to save this country is foot power. Well, one thing about – you talked before about the strip searches and all the things these bureaucracies are doing, like TSA and all that type of thing. To me, that is similar to what happened in Jezebel's kangaroo court because they get justified based on procedure and not – based on truth or justice. Yeah. Uh, Rush Dooney had a easy chair uh, uh, audio with Otto Scott, where he talked about a book that a lawyer wrote like in the seventies called what the hell is justice? <laughs> does, does our system even consider justice over procedure? Because it seems like it doesn't because look how hard it is to get wrongful convictions overturned. Yeah. And, I mean, you have uh, some of the police violence today. There are 80,000 SWAT team raids occurring in, across the country today. Up to 500 dogs are killed on a daily basis. Kids are getting shot. 80,000 up from 3,000 in the 1980s. And the country is going bananas. But again, the courts are, are basically when a, when a policeman goes completely bananas and tasers a woman in the street or shoots a, an 80-year-old woman, they... The, the person gets a settlement of a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's great. But listen, who's paying for that? Not the cop. Right. Me and you, we're paying for that. And the, the system is procedure. You're right. It's not based on justice. To have justice, you have to have some kind of principles. Not, you know, let's move this guy through the courtroom or whatever. Or mess, listen, I really, I'm really on the side of the policeman. I really want to be on the side of the government. And a lot of judges I talk to are that way. And I always cautioned young lawyers when I argued my cases, I didn't, I, I would wave at the judge, but uh, it was his uh, interns I'd go over and talk to always and pitch them on my ideas. And I, I get students shaking their heads and go, whoa, because they're the ones that write the opinions. But your base, it is procedure. It's not justice. To have justice, you have to have the principles. And what principles does uh, the government stand on today? Well, you have, said- they're there to protect the mighty. Again, you have IRS agents crashing through people's doors now. They dress in SWAT team gear uh, because somebody is back have hasn't paid their taxes on time. That's happening across the country. You're you're, you're seeing it. Um, all the stuff I see happening across the country. All of it's based on basically money, and we're overtaxed in this country. I mean, you, you can't step out. You, you're whatever you do, you're going to be taxed in this country, but. You ask for a little justice from a courtroom, you can't get it. You know, that's why when I started Rutherford, I saw people. They couldn't even get a lawyer. And I said, hey, I'm going to try to provide the lawyer. And that's justice. 
But, you know, again, that takes people acting, not sitting on their butts and watching. And wouldn't you say immunity, immunity for police, immunity and, and full immunity for prosecutors is part of the problem we have in, in getting justice today? Of course. I don't think I don't think anybody should be immune. Not listen again. Uh, when, and again, some of these cases, I, I have a commentary that uh, has just been put out uh, dealing with this issue. But the point is, is that. When, when you have policemen are put on a month, what do you call it, leave because they shot somebody, I'm going, what in the world? If I do this, if I hit somebody in the face, they're going to put me in jail. That's what they're going to do to me. But I, the, the government official is not treated like that. So, again, I tell people this. If you read the Constitution, which is a great document, by the way, especially with the Bill of Rights, it starts with three words, we the people. It's, what does that mean? We, the people, we're the government. The people in Washington, D.C., or wherever they are, they are our servants. We're the masters. But most people have that backwards. They think they have to bow before this or that or whatever. You know, and again, talking to some local officials, local police, when I ask them questions, they'll shoot back and say, shut up. I ain't answering any of your questions. And I'm going, I want to, <laughs> wait a second, buddy. I'm paying your salary. I'd like an answer to the question. You try, you try posing questions to some of the policemen that they pose to people sitting in cars that they pull over for supposedly waving their arm or having a grimace on their face, which is what police are pulling people over for today. You ask them a simple question, you're allowed to get punched in the face because they have all this power. Who's giving that to them? The government, the courts, unfortunately. If we had good judges in this country, a lot of the problems that we're facing, we wouldn't be facing. The judges would be correcting them saying, move this guy out of the apartment. We don't want this kind of person here. Move this government official out, you know, And but they're not doing that. So the, the judges, like I say, most of them, by the way, the judges, I go back, we're talking about judges. I've seen so many bad judges. I mean, I can't have a list because it'd be too long. Well, one thing I've seen is a lot of prosecutors who actually manufactured evidence and, and committed yes. all sorts of abuses being elevated to judgeships. Yes, there was a case involving a guy named Ryan Ferguson who was uh, recently exonerated in the in within the last ten years, and it was shown during his post conviction proceedings that the prosecutor lied, intimidated witnesses, and yet he gets elected to the post of ju judge. Wouldn't you say that's a big part of our problem? Is is that sort of thing? It's a big part of your problem, though. But again, a couple of years ago, I was talking to a guy that was a prosecutor, and I said, "Oh, how you doing? What you know? How's your job going?" He goes, "Oh man, I win ninety nine percent of my cases." And I looked at him and said, "Is that your philosophy, or?" And this is what I said: "Where the issue we're talking about?" I said, "Shouldn't justice be your issue? Not that you are putting people in jail. By the way, private prisons, most of them, where are run by large corporations, they're putting a lot of poor people in these jails, and they're working to make products for Microsoft and Victoria's Secret." Uh, that's something people should be outraged, by the way, in their, their local communities. I mean, the, the prisons now are there to make money for large corporations. And uh, but, yeah, I agree. I, I just the issue should be justice. And mo like I say, when you talk, a prosecutor tells me that he's really happy he wins 99 percent of his cases, I'm going, hmm. But shouldn't you try to figure out a way to make that person there? Maybe if he's guilty, a better person, too. 
But so they don't think we, about that. So when we go to candidate forums for people who are running for prosecutor, we should be speaking up and asking uh, pointed questions about their thoughts about this. Do and morality. Do they have any yeah. morality at all? Right. <laughs> are they watching porn to 3 a.m. in the morning? And again, I mean, a lot of government officials have been caught over the years watching porn. So if those are the people who run the system, there's no reason why this country's in, in the shape it's in. I mean, I, whether you think making America great again or any of this stuff, man, the only thing that's going to make America great again is uh, a country that stands for morality, justice, equality, and truth. And, you know, if people are set, getting all these nice jobs and all these benefits, being a judge or a prosecutor or whatever, or a policeman, no, you're not going to have that. Now, while we're out there working our hind ends off so that they can have all these benefits. All right. Roger, did you want to ask some questions? Yeah, I just noticed on the, I just got the Texas ballot for the primary. It has a bunch of judges on it. And on most of them, there's only one to vote for. You don't have a choice. And you don't even know who the guy is or what he's going to do or yeah. any of that kind of stuff. It seems to me, too, in this thing uh, that we have to, uh, at the, what the church can do is start at the bottom and re-educate the people about the law because we have the kind of government we deserve in many ways. And we just accept it and we don't challenge it because we don't know how to or why what they're doing is wrong or what answer to give. I live in Mexico and at least people here don't expect any different. But we have uh, our whole system. It strikes me as very much like the case of Jezebel and uh, Ahab and Naboth in the sense that uh, there is this false expectation of due process from our common law, which other countries don't even expect. You know, you, the best thing you can do in Mexico is stay the hell out of the courts. Uh, you know, people, uh, one of my associates met a guy had been in jail for years. So he didn't even know why, why they he happened to go in there when he was a teenager playing basketball in the prisons. And that's common. Well, it's becoming more and more common in the United States because we really have a civil law system, but with this fake, well, there's witnesses and there's process and there's a jury trial. I don't know if the jury trials would do what they did to help eliminate prohibition they refused to find people guilty. And finally, the government gave up trying to prosecute. That's one of the reasons why, uh, as I read recently, that uh, we got rid of prohibition. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you make a really good point. But the, the thing is, is uh, with the system we have today where children don't know the Bill of Rights, they have no sense of morality. Uh, they have no sense of the people who founded the country. I mean, they're, I mean, they're t trying to take down statutes of Washington and Thomas Jefferson and people like that and destroy history. Uh, there's not much, there's not much hope. There's no depth. You got to have depth. And I'm, I'll guarantee you countries like Russia and China are looking at us with big smiles on their faces right now. They know we're in trouble. Uh, and with the, the fact that uh, the military empire is stretched all over the planet and we're, mm -hmm. you know, the, the American government has killed over 22 million people since world war II worldwide. Now, let's talk about a God of justice. Mm -hmm. How would a God of justice deal with that? Uh, and again, it's, uh, it's going to come back like a boomerang and hit us. It always does. I mean, you can say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the law. But the law has a, re a, a, a retroactive effect. And, it, and a, it's going to come back. And, it's going to, and, and unfortunately, it's going to affect some good people as well, people who really out there trying to do a good job. But... Again, I will say this, and the gentleman said it correctly. If you want to know who's at fault, look in the mirror. Yeah. 
get out there and get involved. Speak up. I mean, it's get, you know, the, and the churches can have an amazing impact. Mm-hmm. on the, Like I say, get out. It isn't just a Sunday religion. It's an every minute religion. It's an every second religion. You have to think like it, you know. And I've written about this in some of my books about Jesus. Jesus was straight in people's faces. He told them the truth. And, uh, I mean, even the religious establishment of his day did not like him. The government of his day did not like him. So, you know, sometimes I feel a bit like that, too, when people are pointing their finger at me and saying, why are you so negative? And I say, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to tell you the truth. And people don't want the truth. They want commercials and smiles from politicians who are really game show hosts, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yes. Well, what book? What book? Or can you give us the names of those books that you you were just talking about, and where we can find them? Yeah, well, I go to our the best thing would be go to my website at rutherford.org, and they're all listed there. God okay. is. I would recommend God is a four letter word. That book, if you want to read about uh, what I thought Jesus was like, but it isn't what I think. It's just read the Bible. I mean, wh- why did he get in so much trouble? Because he didn't, you know, again, he was always running from the government. And again, he was arrested in a SWAT team type raid by a government informant who kissed him on the cheek. Judas was a government informant. And we see that today, folks. Read my writings on the the FBI is sitting now in churches, mosques and synagogues now watching people because of the U.S. Patriot Act, which Donald Trump just re-signed up again and trying to figure out who the enemy is all the time. They're watching all of our emails and all this stuff totally eviscerates the Fourth Amendment. Again, I talk to, I talk to policemen who don't, don't even understand the Fourth Amendment. Fourth Amendment says you're not supposed to be doing searches and seizures and surveillance on us unless you have uh, proof that we're doing something illegal. They're watching everything we're doing. And, I mean, when you have cops and uh, FBI that's sitting in churches monitoring what people are saying, watch out. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I think that this has been going on for a while. Do you do you remember a long that? Time. Yeah, do you remember that 1992 raid on on uh, Donald uh, Scott's ranch, where the National Forest Service, the L.A. Uh, Sheriff's Department, who weren't even over. I mean, he was in Ventura County. He he wasn't even part of their jurisdiction. They got together with some other groups, and they faked finding marijuana grows on his huge ranch. Yeah. Yes. And, and they, do that. <laughs> they, they, they raided him and he came down the stairs cause he heard his wife screaming, don't shoot me. And he had a weapon and they shot him down in cold blood and all that, that was so similar to what happened with Naboth because they wanted his land. Yes. They want your property. Asset forfeiture is another <laughs> thing people should read about. It's uh, I write on it a lot. It's, you know, the government takes people's cars, their money. And I tell people, don't be driving along a highway with any kind of money in your car. The police act routinely pull people over and take their money. You have to go to court to get it. And here's where we go back to Naboth's the situation there is the courts back the police up. They let them keep the money. Most of the time they take people's homes and stuff like that illegally, by the way. They split it with the government. By The U.S. Justice Department gets a cut of the money. Billions of dollars each year stolen from America. Read about the articles on asset forfeiture on the website at rotha.org, and you should be outraged at what's happening, but also be on the alert. Okay. We're about at 30 minutes right now, John, and what I'd like to do is end it with you giving our audience a call to action. 
Well, I, again, it's it's like being on the Titanic, and uh, I think we can save the Titanic, but it's going to take people action. It's going to take people uh, believing what the Constitution says. We, the people, are the government. Get some strength. And again, but, but here's the key first. If you don't turn off the screen devices, at least, I, I say, listen, folks, turn off those screen devices one-third of the time and give one-third of the time to freedom. One third of the time to freedom. Get down to your local city council, run for the city council, start local civil liberties oversight committees where you're watching it. There's doing SWAT teams in your local community. Now, now they're busting through people's doors without even warrants. Stop all this stuff. Get down to your local uh, school and demand that they teach the kids the Bill of Rights because they don't know them. And if you don't teach people freedom, they can't learn. So there's a lot. Again, churches, individuals can do a lot of good things if they get their, their, butts up off the couches and step out the door. And I would add, everyone can donate to the Rutherford Institute because they do great work throughout the country representing people who have, who have had their rights absolutely trodden upon. So look for that at the rutherfordinstitute.org website. John, I want to thank you for being with us today. And uh, this will, be very valuable to our audience in explaining what justice is in his kingdom. Thank you so much. And the key thing is education precedes action. Get educated. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. you. Thank you. I hope everybody benefited from this episode of justice in his kingdom, examining the religious nature of justice. It is only under God's law that we can have true justice And I hope you'll be back as we explore this topic more extensively in future episodes.